quickly review where we've been in a series called Resolution because we're bringing it to a close today. This series of resolutions has basically been what I would call just fundamental Christian things that we should be doing every day, every year, but we wanted to have kind of a renewed focus on these priorities for this year, because sometimes we just lose sight of things like this that help us to actually live a victorious Christian life. And so we've talked about several, five resolutions, and today is the last, but I'm going to review them quickly, because if any of these pique your interest, you can go online, albanync.org, and listen to the entire message attached to these resolutions. Or if you're an iTunes user, you can subscribe via podcast to our messages, and those are pushed to your phone directly. Or take the time to download the Neighborhood Church app from your app store. Just search for Share Faith who is our producing company, Share Faith Neighborhood Church, and you'll find our app also through all of your app stores, and we encourage you to download that because it pushes the stuff, including notes, to your smart device as you gather here today. But number, number one resolution was this. This year, I will guard my thoughts carefully, knowing they influence my attitudes and actions. If your thought life is where your trouble is, you got to go back and listen to that message. This is really a critical one. Number two was this. This year, I'll pursue healthy relationships that inspire and influence me to become the best version of me. Some of you have some people influencing your life in not great ways. And so we talked about that. Number three was this year, I will learn to dream again, believing that God wants to do something great in me and through me. And by the way, he does. It's not just through people like the Cross family or others. God wants to do things in and through your life. Number four, we talked about this critical piece. This year, I will forgive freely and not allow unforgiveness to poison and imprison my heart. And I've heard from some of you how God really has just set you free because you were able to forgive and how powerful that is for you. Don't miss that key resolution. Last week, number five was this. This year, I will take a risk of faith instead of submitting to the mundane life that places my faith at risk. Some of you are bored with your Christian faith and life because you're just not taking a risk of faith. And we're going to kind of partner on that message today. I was actually going, in my own mind, a very different way this week, and God just kind of seized me and said, no, there's something else I want you to talk about this week. Because there's another reason that people are dissatisfied with their Christian faith. It might not have to do with taking a risk of faith, but I believe it's because they don't understand the power that God has for them to be at work in their lives. In fact, Billy Graham once wrote this, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. And the most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, of all the religions in the world around us, Uh, Christians should be the most empowered of all. We should be the most zealous and passionate of all. Why? Because unlike any other religion in the world, Christians truly believe, and the Bible backs us up, that the Holy Spirit lives within you. God, the Holy Spirit, lives, takes residence in you. And so this week, the Holy Spirit just really challenged me and stirred my heart and showed me that I, along with maybe a lot of you in the room, have settled at times for a stale religious routine. And and because of this allowance, then we've become bored with our brand of Christianity. So we just don't feel that zeal in our heart, that passion, that, that drive. And we have settled for biblical information without personal transformation. 
And this is so, so important. You can know a lot about God, a lot about the Bible, but are you being transformed? Is it truly changing you? Because the last thing that authentic, spirit-filled believers should be is bored in their faith. Nowhere in the Bible, in fact, I want to take you to to Matthew 28, just don't go there, but in, in your mind, this is when Jesus is commissioning, right? He says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and be bored. Right? No, but this is the problem. A lot of us have settled for the boredom. And when I was reading that Billy Graham quote, many of you are going, man, that's like me. I resonate with that. I'm I'm feeling like something's missing. I'm just not satisfied with my brand of Christianity that I'm experiencing today. So if you're tired of going through the motions and and if you're tired of trying to work out your faith kind of in your own strength and continually failing, then I want to bring you to the words that Jesus said. He said in John 6, 63, he said this, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And I think we can all say, oh, isn't that the truth? Every time I listen to the flesh, I'm getting myself in trouble. But it's the spirit who gives life. Maybe if your faith today feels dead, you got to go back to the words of Jesus. It is the spirit that gives life. Let that just kind of sink in for a minute. Do you believe what Jesus is saying in that passage? Does your daily life reflect that the spirit has brought you life? So the Holy Spirit's not just merely helpful, okay? He is our only hope of living the kind of life God wants us to live. Why? Because he provides the power for us to live the way that God intended his followers to live. So this final resolution that I want to share today, I believe is really the key to all of these resolutions that we've talked about. It's the power behind all these resolutions. And the resolution today basically says, I want to obey the Spirit. I want to obey the Spirit. I want you to imagine for a moment growing up on a deserted island alone, and all you have is the New Testament, okay? All you have is the New Testament, and you have no church, you have no other person on the island, it's just you. And after 20 years of reading only the New Testament, you've developed a vision and a view of who God is and who the Holy Spirit is and who Jesus is. And let's say that you were then discovered, and you were brought back into civilization, and and you were surrounded by Christians, and maybe you even came to a church, is is what you would see when you bumped into Christians what you would expect based on what you read in the New Testament? Because what you would tend to believe is what you saw in the New Testament would help you see that you'd be convinced that the Holy Spirit is as essential to the church and to Christians as the air we breathe as humans. But is that what you would find? See, unfortunately for most Christians, there's a huge gap between what the Scripture says about the Holy Spirit and then how we actually live each and every day. It's a big gap. And Satan loves it when we, as Christians, ignore the power of the Holy Spirit and choose to not obey him. And here's something I just want to kind of set out there as a point as we begin. The degree to which you ignore the Spirit is directly related to the degree of dissatisfaction you feel with your Christian life. The degree to which you ignore the Spirit is directly related to the degree of dissatisfaction you feel right now in your Christian faith. 
We're not all that we were made to be when everything in our lives can be explained apart from the Holy Spirit. So Galatians 3.23, Paul talks about this. And we're going to come back to Galatians a little bit later in today's message. But he says, he says in Galatians 3, and he's talking, by the way, to Christians, okay, who are walking away, in essence, from this pure relationship with Jesus, being saved by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit and renewed. He talks to them this way. He says in Galatians 3.2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And this, friends, is the tragedy that faces many Christians. We are profoundly saved by the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We become new, as the Bible says, new creatures. Why? Because the Holy Spirit does what Jesus said would happen when we are, quote, born again. He told Nicodemus what was going to happen. The Holy Spirit does this work within you, and you are born again from above, and we have this sense of a newness of life. And you remember what that felt like when you came to that point in your life, when you accepted Christ as Savior. It was like something within you came alive. That, my friends, was the Holy Spirit taking up residence within you. So let's talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, because I, I know, I, I know when I start talking about the Holy Spirit, red flags are like flying up in a lot of you, and there's like lights on the dashboard of your little Christian faith going, oh no, we're not going there. If, if you have kind of an angst about talking about the Holy Spirit today, we need to ask why. We need to ask why. Now, I, I know for some people, you maybe have had experience with people who claimed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was kind of weird and nutty, and it kind of turned you away from it. Let me just kind of give you a real-life illustration that helps us understand why we don't just throw this out. Back when I was a kid, I remember distinctly, you ever had those moments when it's clear, you remember something like that, it's just so clear. I was a kid, we lived in Glide, Oregon, and I was playing by an outlet, and I did what typical kids do, you find something it fits inside the little outlet, and I plugged it in, and I got shocked. Anybody ever been shocked before? Okay, I got shocked. At that point, I didn't say in my little head, all right, no more electricity for me. I'm going to go live in a hut on a mountain, no more electricity, because electricity, it's bad. No, what do we do? We still go over the switch and we turn it on and electricity and the way it's designed to work, works. And we enjoy the benefits of it. Some of you, the problem is you've had this experience in a setting that's been Holy Spirit and talked about and you weren't so sure about it and now you're kind of saying, I don't want any of that. Don't do this, friends. It's just as silly as saying, I got shocked once, so I'm done with electricity, right? That's silly. So I, I hope that you approach this topic today with an open heart as I spend just a few minutes kind of unpacking this because the Holy Spirit is God. I have to remind you of this. He's not some force like Star Wars. He's, he's not some impersonal whatever. He is God. He is de he's defined in Scripture as a person with personal attributes, okay? So the Holy Spirit is very real, part of the Godhead, the Trinity we call it. And I know Talking about Trinity just makes your head want to explode because it's hard for us to understand it, but I'm going to try to break it down as basically as I can, right? So God the Father 
was mostly featured in the Old Testament, right? We see creation, Genesis, we see the Father, creation, and, and then we see Adam and Eve formed, and then from there we see Adam and Eve disobeying God. I mean, think about it. Everything's perfect, a wonderful garden, great fruit, one tree, don't eat from it, they do that. Exact thing they're not supposed to, and it severs their relationship with God. They become corrupt, they become sinful, and from that point, humanity is on a path downward away from God, and God has a plan still. And so as we see the story unfold, he, he calls Abraham, and he chooses Abraham that through him, he's going to accomplish his purpose. And so Abraham has kids, and they have kids, and they have kids, and they become this nation of Israel. And in Exodus, we see God calling them out of their land of slavery, a great symbolism of being set free from our sin, right? He calls them out of their land of slavery and establishes a covenant relationship with them. And that covenant is based on the law, the Ten Commandments, right? And then because of those commands, people are going to fail. So God also gives sacrifices and offerings that they're to make when they break those commands. And there's God's presence in powerful ways above the temple and all that stuff. But here's the problem. They still disobeyed God. They still had this sin issue within them. While they had the law outside of them to obey and kind of know how to go to God, they didn't have it in here. And so they continued to fail until Jesus, right, came. Fast forward thousands of years. Here comes God the Son. And who is he? He's our Savior. He comes, all the Old Testament's pointing to Jesus. He is the Lamb of God, the sacrifice once and for all for the sin of all mankind. God knows man can't fix himself. So he himself steps in as God the Son, Savior, who comes. Why? One purpose, to die on a cross, right? He dies on that cross. He's the one sacrifice for all time. We are made right with God by trusting in Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. Because Jesus says, okay, I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm going to leave you with something. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit becomes for us a promised helper. And it's the Holy Spirit that's at work in our lives when we accept Christ as Savior. The Holy Spirit comes and rejuvenates us, gives us that sense of newness of life. And then the Holy Spirit's there from that point on to help us to become more like Jesus, to obey his teachings. That's what the Holy Spirit was going to do. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all working together. But here's the awesome news. The Old Testament... All they had was the law, and they saw God. Jesus came, God incarnate. We see God. He has skin on, right? And he ministers under the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when he was baptized, what happened? The Holy Spirit descends upon him. It says from that point in the Gospels that Jesus went from that place in the power of the Holy Spirit. When he read from the scroll that day in, in the synagogue, he said, the spirit of the sovereign God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news. And so when Jesus ministered, he did that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he said to us, guess what? Greater things than you saw me do are you going to do because I'm going to the Father. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit would not just be in Jesus, but now the Holy Spirit would be in his followers. And we would do the greater things that God has established for us to do. So we see this work of the Spirit of God still at work today. Didn't end in the book of Revelation, okay? It's happening still today. Holy Spirit within us. So because our salvation was a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, and it was, we can't save ourselves, we can't become new by ourselves. 
It was the work of the Holy Spirit. So then our spiritual living must also be a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. That's what Paul was saying. Why would you receive the Spirit and then go back to trying to do it on your own? Can't do it. We cannot begin in the Spirit and then perfect ourselves in the flesh. That's what he's trying to say. But when I read the Scriptures, especially the New Testament, I find the necessity of living a life of obedience to the Holy Spirit and a dependence on him because we don't live to ourselves. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and Paul talks about that quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, on the screen for you. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Remember that Old Testament temple, right? God's presence would only be in that inner holy sanctum called the Holy of Holies, and the priest can only go there one time a year. But now, Paul takes that very term, the description of that holy place where, the, where God's presence came. He says this. He uses that same term. Your bodies are that holy of holies, and God lives in you by his spirit. You are not your own, he ends it. And that's the truth. We don't live life as though it's about just us now because God is in us as followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is there, taking up residence within our life. And if it's true that the spirit of God dwells in us, and that our bodies are these holy of holies for the Holy Spirit, then shouldn't there be a, a huge difference between the person who is filled with the Holy Spirit and the person who isn't? And the thing that challenges me is how Christians can look so much like non-Christians. And I'm not talking about wearing the latest fads. I'm, I'm not talking about American Eagle jeans and the right kind of shirt. I'm talking about the way we live isn't marked by a very substantial difference. Why? If the Holy Spirit lives in you. Imagine with me for a moment, and I think I've used this illustration before, but I think it's just so helpful. Imagine that you were part of a football team, and you boasted that your football team had supernatural abilities to play football. Okay? And so your team takes the field, and the loud music's going, and cheer, the crowd's going crazy because they're getting ready to watch this supernatural football team just kind of kill the other team, right? It's kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters faces the whatever that team was they always played, right? You would expect something phenomenal to come from this football team who boasts of having supernatural power to play football. But what if you didn't see anything different? In fact, what if they kept losing would you keep watching them? You'd go, eh, there's nothing but a bunch of talk. Friends, the Holy Spirit lives in you. How can we be just like a person who is not saved? If they look at you and you say, I'm a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in me, but you don't really look any different, act any different, they're going to question your sanity. They're going to question, well, what's the point? I mean, if you're this, why would I want that? Right? This is not the way God intended it to be for his followers. Let me give you an example of Peter. Peter was that fisherman, got himself in trouble a lot, right, in the way that he talked and just kind of boastful, and he was Peter, rough around the edges. I, I love him because I can relate to that. I'm sure you can too, right? So Jesus calls Peter to be a disciple, and he spends three and a half years with Peter. And at the close of those three and a half years, you'd think that, you know, Peter would have moved immensely because he had Jesus like right here beside him. And he was like his disciple. I mean, how many of you would love three and a half years with the real physical Jesus being right beside you, right? 
We talk about how much there should have been life transformation, but you look at that band of disciples and you keep seeing them arguing and fighting with each other about who's going to be the greatest. And then there comes this moment when Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, listen to me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you know me three times. And what does Peter say? No, I'm not. I'd never do that. It's easy to say when Jesus is beside you. But now he's arrested, he's, he's being tried, he's being beaten, and now people are confronting Peter, and what does he do? Three times he denies that he even knows Jesus. Right? I mean, come on. Jesus with Peter didn't transform Peter. While that's an important concept of know Jesus and to grow, there had to be something else for Peter, right? But fortunately for Peter, the story doesn't end. He probably thought it did. But in John, Jesus dies on the cross, rose from the dead. He appears to his disciples. And then he has this little meeting with Peter where he kind of restores him. And that's helpful. It's a feel-good moment of, oh, isn't that wonderful? Jesus is restoring Peter. But Peter's still not done. Acts chapter 2, the disciples are gathered in the upper room. They're seeking God. The Holy Spirit falls upon that place in a supernaturally profound way. And in that moment, Peter, after all this, what we call the day of Pentecost happens, Peter stands up to the crowds that have gathered, thousands of people who think they're drunk, right? That's what the Bible says. And Peter says, no, these men aren't drunk, and he begins to preach. This is the same Peter who denied knowing Jesus, the same Peter who kept getting himself in trouble about things he would say, and he boldly proclaims the truth about Jesus. And thousands are saved that day. What happened? The Jesus beside Peter, as wonderful as that was, Peter needed something else. The Holy Spirit inside of Peter. And this is what Jesus talks about. John chapter 14. He's having his last kind of evening with the disciples before he's going to be arrested. And he says this, if you love me, Keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. Okay, in other words, Peter, right here, the Holy Spirit is with you, but here's what he says, and will be what? In you. Let's move on in John chapter 16, verse 7. He picks up the conversation. This is all still in the same setting. And he says, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Now, I just pause there. How many of you, somebody you love, that you look up to, that's influential in your life, and they said to you one day, you know what? It's, look, I'm going away, but it's actually for your good. What would you say to them? No, it's not. Nothing about you leaving me is good. All right, but Jesus says, no, no, look, I know who I am, son of God. I, I know that. I hope I, I've shown that to you and how I've taught, but it's good for me to go away. Why? He goes on. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come, the Holy Spirit. But I, if I go, I will send him to you. What, what Jesus was basically saying to Peter and all the disciples is this. The Spirit's presence inside of you is actually better than my presence beside you. See, and this is the key. A lot of us, we know about Jesus. We know about the Bible. We have the head knowledge that maybe Peter had being three and a half years with Jesus. But until the Holy Spirit takes residence within you, 
There cannot be transformation. But that is when it happened for Peter. The Holy Spirit came, and he was changed, and he preached with power. Everything that I read about the church in the New Testament centered on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I often think, man, what if Peter showed up to the churches today? And he saw what we do under the name of followers of Jesus. And he would go, what are you guys doing? It's all fluff and no filling. I mean, where is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life today? Because everything they saw in the book of Acts, which by the way, it's called the Acts of the Apostle, but it's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit and how he worked in these band of failure-prone men who were now full of the Holy Spirit and they took that message of Jesus. And guess what happened? The same thing Jesus said, greater things will you do. Why? Because rather than having a Messiah who was anointed by the Spirit preaching in the region of Galilee, now you have thousands of Christians full of the Holy Spirit taking the gospel throughout the world. It's exploding with growth. And they look at us today and go, wake up, church. What are you doing? You're kind of nodding your head toward me on Sunday, but that's it? So here's the resolution for today, and then we'll wrap it up. This year, I will obey the Spirit and allow his power to fill my life and fuel my faith. So here's the question. When was the last time you undeniably saw the Spirit of God at work in you and around you? When was the last time? When was the last time that you obeyed what you felt like you obeyed the Spirit? Because if we can't look back on any of that and go, well, there was this time, then what, what does that mean for us as Christians? That means that We're living a life kind of void of the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And we've done what Paul said. We've, thank you, Holy Spirit, for getting me going, but now I'm gonna do this in my own strength. And guess what we do? We mess it up, we fail. We keep getting frustrated at our Christian existence because all I'm doing is failing. It's because you've walked away from the power that's supposed to be at work in you to live a victorious Christian life. Now, I don't have time today to talk about the Holy Spirit as we need to, but I promise you this year, I'm gonna do a series on the Holy Spirit because I believe we have to have a better understanding to put to bed some of the fears and misunderstandings we have about the Holy Spirit. So I promise you we'll come back to this topic. My point today is just to whet your appetite, to kind of go, what, is, what do I need to do this year in opening my life to this reality that the Spirit of God wants to move in and through my life? So, but assuming that the work of the Holy Spirit is only a salvation thing, is is kind of like assuming that a first kiss is all there is to an intimate relationship. Now, my wife's in the room, and I remember the first time I kissed Trisha, and she was far too young. (laughs) I would probably never let a man kiss my daughter as young as I kissed Trisha the first time we kissed. And you know what? That, That kiss was all we needed. That was it. We've never kissed since then. You're going, no, no, I know. You got four kids. Come on. Yeah, here's the thing. Assuming that a first kiss is all you need, one and only kiss, to have an intimate, deep connection with a spouse, it's kind of the same thing that I would equate to feeling like the Holy Spirit is just a salvation thing. You know, the Holy Spirit kissed my soul, and oh, doesn't that feel so wonderful? Thank you, and that's all I need. And now I'm going to go and just do 
And this is where we get frustrated because we try to do good enough and we try to be better and we try to do all this on our own strength and guess what? We get frustrated and we fail. Because somewhere in that journey of trusting that only the Spirit of God could save us, which is true, to somehow now I can live out my life without him and his leading and his guiding, that's, that's just silliness. And Paul speaks about this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and we'll close it out with this. And what he shows us is that basically being a Christian does not necessarily guarantee that a person lives a spirit-controlled life. That's what he's going to talk about. Now, I believe that when I accept Christ to save me, the Holy Spirit does come and live within me. I, I believe that. But there's a greater work of sanctification and all that kind of stuff I want to talk to you more about as we come back to the Holy Spirit later that has to happen in our lives. We can't just cross the line of salvation and stop and go to our own strength. And that's what Paul is confronting here and to a group of Christians. So he says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And they're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, and he lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he lists out for us what is the product of our flesh. And all of these things are basically self-defeating things that will kill our faith, right? He lists them. And then he goes on. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Oh, and by the way, self-control. You might think you're controlling yourself, but an evidence, a characteristic, a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The Holy Spirit helps you do that. And we think we got to do it all by ourselves. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Don't you love that? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Well, this, what's interesting here to me is Paul's talking to Christians who should know this. But he gives them a command. Since we live by the Spirit, then let us keep in step. What does that mean? You ever done that like at the beach where somebody's walking ahead of you and you try to walk directly in their footsteps? You ever done that? If you've not, you've never been truly a child. I mean, come on, it's inside all of us to do that. And that's the way we should be living our life. What we, what we do is we think that the Holy Spirit's here for this salvation thing, and then we got to figure all this out on our own. And in our own strength, but the good news is we can walk as though we're walking in his footprints. That's the kind of leadership we should expect of the Holy Spirit within us, but very few of us listen for that. And so he commands them, look, you got to walk by the Spirit. So how do we do that? How, how do I, this is great, Kelly, thank you, but how do I do that? Well, we're going to talk more about that later, but here's the one thing I want to challenge you with today. And it's this, to walk in the Spirit means obeying his initial promptings. I know this isn't profound, but don't overcomplicate this. Okay, let, me, let me explain it. 
To walk in the Spirit is to obey his initial promptings. Now, here's the reality. All of you at some time before you received Christ, maybe you sat in a church like this, or maybe it was a camp setting. I don't know where you were. Maybe it was a conversation with a friend. And they started talking about Jesus, and all of a sudden, something inside of you started, like, convicting you and kind of impressing that, man, you know what? You need to respond to this. And if you haven't felt that, then, you know, we then we've ignored the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But all of us, at some point, we felt like, I got to do something about what's being told to me. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin and remind us of what Jesus is doing and then bring us to the Father. So it moves us towards salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So all of us, in the, under the sin, you felt this before, and it moved you to respond to the message of Jesus and be saved. But is that the last time you have felt anything? Because it moves from there. Some of you have felt it before, especially when you were newly saved. You were like really sensitive to the things of God. And all of a sudden, when you wanted to go back and hang out with those friends who kept doing those things, and you kind of, when you were with them, you just kind of felt this angst in your heart. You felt this like going on inside of you. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit saying, look, you can't go back and do, I mean, evangelize to them, certainly, but you can't go back and do this stuff with them. And some of you, when you've been just doing your, your business, maybe at work, and all of a sudden, you've, somebody's name comes to your mind. And you're like, man, I, man, they're going through a hard time. I wonder what I should do. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? You need to think about that person, pray for them, and reach out to them. And sometimes you've been watching a TV show or a movie, and it's getting to this part where it's a little risque, maybe a little nasty, and you feel kind of this thing inside of you that says, you probably ought to turn it off. And what do we do sometimes? We hit the snooze button on that voice. Because the flesh says, no, no, this is just fine. Let me just tell you, if you're watching something that you shouldn't watch, it's not the flesh that's going to say, oh, you probably should stop watching that. Because the flesh is like, yeah, bring it on. If something else is speaking in your heart, that, friends, is called the, it's the Holy Spirit saying, mm, don't go down that path because that's a path of temptation. So when we begin to think about it in those terms, it's not mysterious at all because the reality is as followers of Jesus, born again, the Holy Spirit is cooperative with you. But many of us have hit the snooze button time and time again on what the Spirit's been saying to you. And guess what happens over time? The flesh becomes louder. The Spirit becomes softer. Why? Because Paul says, look, there's two things that you're going to obey. It's the flesh or it's the Spirit. It couldn't get any simpler than that. And as I elevate the flesh and keep yielding in that regard, the Spirit's going to grow weaker. But if I flip the tables and begin to follow the promptings that I sense of God within me, especially as you're reading the Bible, even those moments when you read something that's like, it's like all of heaven just sang a big chorus, and you're kind of like, whoa, I have never seen that before. And you feel challenged. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit taking the word of God, which was breathed by the Holy Spirit, and awakening you to that, and making you want to respond to it. That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And sometimes we, we don't understand that. But when we begin to obey the Spirit in those ways, guess what happens? The scales turn. You become more sensitive to the Spirit. And guess what begins to happen to the flesh? It begins to be silenced. 
And some of you know what that feels like when you come back from a camp or a spiritual retreat and you feel like you're on cloud nine and you're so sensitive to God and you just, you just want to spend time you know, worshiping him and praying and you know what that feels like. And it's so wonderful. In fact, it changes your appetites. You come back and it's like, nah, I don't need to watch that. I don't need to do that. I just want to spend time in the word and I want to do that. But then what begins to happen over time? You begin to listen more to the flesh and less to the spirit. And like I said, I know you got to live a life. You got to work a job. You got to be a parent. And it's not like we can just sit and do everything, you know. But the Holy Spirit is with you every day. As a dad, as a mom, as a husband, as a wife, as a worker, as an employer. And he wants to guide you through all of that. But you have a choice. What Paul shows us is that we need to choose to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking. We got to cooperate. That's the walking. And when that happens, you begin to move into those places that God is designed for you to move into. Because you look at some folks and go, man, I wish I could have the faith and the life like that person does. They, they seem to do great things for God. Do you know how they got there? They listened to the voice of the Spirit and not the works of the flesh. I'm not going to earn God's favor by yielding continually to the flesh. That's what he says in Galatians. But by the Spirit, the fruit, love, joy, peace, those aren't self-defeating things, friends. Those are benefits to your life and those around you choice. Here's the resolution. Let's say it again. This year, I will obey the Spirit and allow, that means to yield to his power to fill my life and to fuel my faith. I'd like us to close today with a prayer. Just maybe just close your eyes and just for a moment, just quiet yourself. And maybe right now, some of you feel that kind of what I would call the kind of the beacon of the Holy Spirit already just kind of speaking to you about some things. Because even as I've been talking, for some of you, it's been like, I remember when that was true for me. And I kind of miss those days. For others, it's like, man, I, I never have experienced that, Kelly. Just listen right now for what the Spirit of God is saying within you. The flesh might say you're hungry, you're tired. Don't listen to that. So God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts right now. Because you do that by your spirit. If we call ourselves children of God, we know the spirit of God dwells in us. And Holy Spirit, you're not silent. But one of the things we do know is you're kind of a gentleman. And sometimes our lives are so full of noise from the flesh and distractions of life, and we don't hear you. But right now, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to our heart challenge each one in this room. Maybe awaken a sensitivity to you. It doesn't have to be spooky. It just means that when you prompt something in my heart, let me be obedient and do it. Not excuse it away, but step into your steps. Because I know that you're going to speak things to me that I need to change. And you're going to speak into my life in ways that I need to step out by faith. But will I obey? Or will I keep my Christian faith about what I can do in my own strength? Because that is futile. But following the leading of the Spirit in our own lives will bring power and experiences like we've never had before. So maybe for you each day, as you begin your day, maybe pray something like this that just says, Father, I, I want you to guide me and to lead me today by your Spirit. 
speak to my heart and, and keep me sensitive to your promptings and to what is happening around me in the lives of those that I live with or I work with. Use me today for your purpose. That today, I choose to obey the Spirit. And maybe that's how I need to begin each day is just realizing that, yes, you're human, but the Spirit should supersede your flesh. So, Lord, it's not going to be easy. Some folks are going to feel the tension between the Spirit and the flesh even this week, but I pray they would exercise listening to the Spirit and be obedient immediately and begin to see what you do as we obey the Spirit. Maybe the first thing you need to do right now is accept Christ as Savior because some of you are feeling this conviction within you that you're not right with God. And I don't want you to leave here feeling unsettled. If you're here, I've talked about Jesus, God's Son, who came to be your Savior. Yes, yours, your Savior. You go, Kelly, you don't know my sin. You don't know know my story. I, I don't, but here's the wonderful thing. God does, and he loves you. And if you feel that sense within you right now that you need to commit your life to God, that means he's reaching out to you. Will you embrace that? And if you're here and saying, Kelly, I just feel like I need to respond to that. I feel like I need to accept Jesus as my Savior and, and be forgiven of my sins. If that's you, just raise a hand and say, Kelly, I feel that today, and I need to do that right now. Just raise a hand if that's you. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Anybody else? That's me, Kelly. Pray with me today. Thank you, Lord, that you know what's going on right now in the hearts of those who are at war. Because the enemy of our souls wants us to ignore this. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you would continue to speak that to their hearts right now. Let them know that they are loved by God, their Father. Loved so much that he sent Jesus, his Son, to come and be our Savior. To pay the price that we couldn't pay. To go to that cross that we could find forgiveness. That all the Old Testament pointed to a perfect sacrifice. Jesus who came to erase the power of sin over us and to believe that he is our Savior. And then, because of that confession of our faith, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and begins that work that we need to yield to and agree with in our lives to move us toward what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And doing that is going to make our lives so much better and the lives of those around us a blessing. So we choose that today. We choose you, Jesus, to be our Savior. Thank you for accepting me. In Jesus' name.